This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. This is the Mark Madden Unfiltered Podcast from the Bet Rivers Network. Hello again, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Mark Madden Podcast on the Bet Rivers Podcast Network. Bet now from anywhere. I'm going to open up hot with my top three roles for Paul Walter Hauser, the actor. Number one, I, Tanya, where he played a fat buffoon. Number two, Black Klansman, where he played a fat buffoon. Number three, Richard Jewell where he played a fat buffoon. And just off the list are Super Troopers 2 and the TV series Cobra Kai. In each of those, he played a fat buffoon. This is not a knock on Paul Walter Hauser. He's a very good actor. If a movie gets made about my life, I'd want Paul Walter Hauser to play me. But there's a bit of typecasting going on there. So let's bring on my co-host, Tim Benz. Tim. What's your favorite role played by Paul Walter Hauser? Because, as I think I've made clear, most are pretty similar. Do you think he started getting roles in Hollywood when casting agencies couldn't get Zach Galifianakis? Or, or, or when Chris Farley died or John Candy died? I feel like he's a more subtle, more acting-based performer than what Galifianakis is. He relies less on overt humor, but they're under the same tent. I, I think, and it's an oversized tent, in fact, they should take it to a tailor and and have it made into into an outfit. And, and believe me, I speak from experience. Although Galifianakis, he's kind of chubby. Paul Walter Hauser uh, borders on, on the massive like I do. And again, I'm not knocking Paul Walter Hauser, but, but you know, the roles he's played... Are the roles he's played? And Galuli um, and Itania is my favorite. Sorry, Eckhart and Galu- and uh, Itania is yeah, my Sean favorite. Eckhart. That's yeah. that's Paul Walter Hauser. Yes, he's he's the best in that movie. He's again, it's subtlety. There's not much to what he does, but he sucks you in with it. Yeah. Oh no, no question. And, and you buy everything. And I, I do want to talk about the movie Itania. It was on HBO the other night. Um, I've watched it probably a half dozen times. It came out in 2017. It's one of the rare movies in the past probably 25 years I went to the theater to see because it had uh, such a buzz about it. And, uh, and and the kind of buzz I like, that controversy, that comedy, that dark humor, and it, it lived up to my expectations. I, Tanya, of course, is the saga figure skater Tanya Harding, uh, whose entourage whacked the knee of Nancy Kerrigan. All that controversy back then. Uh, I, Tanya is the darkest of comedies. Allison Janney played Tanya's mom, won a Golden Globe and an Oscar. Just an amazing movie. 
2017, I thought it was the best <gasps> movie that I saw that year. I don't remember what the other movies were, but I remember thinking that should win the Oscar. It might have been the only movie I saw that year, Tim. It was so well constructed, and it's the classic, the epitome of so many people would like it. It's so mainstream, so it can't win the Oscar. Alice and Janney can, of course, but... Um, what, what, what I liked about it was I thought it was an accurate portrayal of what happened. I thought it 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 portrayed Tanya Harding as a victim, which I think she was. A, a victim to some degree of her own stupidity and obviously trusting and marrying the wrong the wrong guy to say nothing of of uh of uh, Gololi's friends, but uh you know, I I thought she was I don't think she was in on it till after the fact. I don't know about that. I think you're cutting her a little bit bigger break than I would. Um, and believe me, I am predisposed to cut as much of a break as I can for Margot Robbie. Uh, anything for Margot Robbie. Although they somehow made her look like white trash. She's one of the most glamorous women in the world. She's playing Barbie. Yes. In in an upcoming movie. Uh, but they, she looked like white trash playing Tanya Harding, which is a credit to her and to makeup and wardrobe, I think. I just talked about the Barbie movie on our pop culture podcast, Trib Live, and that looks like it. It's going to go one of two ways. It's going to be really good for a while, and you're really going to enjoy it, or it's going to be 10 minutes, you're going to say, why did I bother watching the rest? I think Paul Walter Hauser should have played Ken. <laughs> I think Ryan Gosling is a more mainstream choice, but I liked some of the details. that You can tell already the attention to detail that they've done in that movie, like all the way up to and including how Margot Robbie stands with her feet arched at that weird angle like the Barbie doll where she stands just on the balls of her feet like that. That's like brilliant subtlety. I like that. Well, uh, getting back to I Tanya, here, here's what I think made it great. Like I said, it's an excellent dark comedy. Uh, great story, great acting. Like I said, you bought everybody in their roles, even Margot Robbie as Tanya as White Trash. See, great production and soundtrack. And here's a moment I loved him when Tanya hits the first triple axel in women's skating history by an American anyway, and Foreigner hits. Feels like the first time, and she's so happy, it's like she is bursting through the screen. And D, like I said, the movie's almost 100% true. Even even the crazy stuff, Tim, when you see the real-life video, you know, interviews yeah. with people yep. at the end of the movie, some of that dialogue in real life matches up exactly with the dialogue in the movie, and it's Looney Tunes talk, and it was real. That was one of the early forays into what extent we would push media to be considered as news like back then because th that was a real i think cross-section when that whole thing went down between what is news and what is gossip and what is entertainment it's when national Enquirer met sports to be sure yeah yeah exactly and uh, i think that really broke a mold in that context and it was a warning as to where things were going to go in our business now that I look back on it. And I, the first time I saw that movie that crossed my mind is, man, we, I, I wish we should have realized at the time that this was not going to be an outlier and this was more about how things were going to go from here. Oh, you mean when, when the actual uh, incident occurred? Yeah, right, yes. The effing incident. Remember they all introduced? Oh, <laughs> uh, the effing incident. Uh you know, again, I want to stress, I love that moment when she hits the triple. It's it's a moment of clarity. It reminds me of when Mark Wahlberg first sings with Steel Dragon in Rockstar, and he nails it. 
He can do it. He knows it, and he's in. It's like a beacon, and that's a true story, too. Uh, Mark Wahlberg, uh, uh, Ripper Owens replacing Rob Halford in Judas Priest. Oh, I mean, he, the movie's based on a true story. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Who's, who was the vocals on that? It wasn't Miles Kennedy, was it? Oh, it was, it was some guy from Steelheart, the group yes, Steelheart. that's right, exactly. Some guy with an unpronounceable European name. And a lot of those guys who are in the band, like, isn't uh, Zach Wild in that? Isn't he one of the guys that's in the band? Yeah, oh yeah, Zach Wild, Jeff Pilson. Jeff Pilson. Jason Bonham. Mm-hmm. Jason Those Bonham. Those are the guys in yep. Steel Dragon. Now, in the tribute band, uh, Nick Katniss, uh, ex Pittsburgh's of, own. Yeah, Pittsburgh's own, ex of Black Label Society with Zach Wild. He has the great line uh, when, when Mark Wahlberg talks about the seriousness of playing Steel Dragon covers, he says, I thought it'd be a goof, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, this discussion reminds me, Tim, of how few great sports movies there have been since the turn of the century. Uh, I, I want to go over a couple here. I like Goon and Goon 2 with uh, Stifler and Liv Schreiber. I hated King Richard. Will Smith as a douchey tennis dad. Dodgeball's terrific. I'm man on Talladega Nights. Semi-Pro was way better. It's one of my favorite sports movies ever. It's Will Ferrell's best sports movie, Blades of Glory also better than Talladega Nights. How would you stack up those Will Ferrell sports movies? I did like Talladega Nights better than you did. I thought Sasha Baron Cohen's character ruined it. He was unnecessary. I know they had to have an antagonist, but I I thought he just fell flat. I think Semipro is neck and neck with it, um, if not a heartbeat ahead. Uh, but I, I think I'd probably go with Talladega Nights. See, I, I think Sasha Baron Cohen, every movie he's ever been in, and it's okay when it's his movie, you, you know, like Borat, but he tries to Bigfoot every scene. He just takes it over. Well, there is no subtlety in him. We talked about subtlety earlier. That's nothing that goes along with his roles. And I think there's an expectation level that he's going to do that, and as a result, all things in that scene become exactly that. There was X amount of subtlety with Borat, especially when Borat was a sketch. Like when Ali G. Oh, you mean like the original? Was a sketch, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah okay, yeah. Yeah. Uh, like, I loved, was this in the movie or was it a sketch? I forget. When uh, he asked in memory of some tragedy in Kazakhstan, he's in a town hall at some small town and he asked for 30 minutes of silence. <laughs> and they do it. And they, well, maybe that. Maybe that was a setup. Maybe that was rigged. Uh, what about Miracle? Did you put Miracle in your turn of the century list? Miracle was awesome. I, I, I'm i doing a list on my show, top five uh, sports movies since the turn of the century. It, believe it or not, is, is uh, not number one. In fact, I'll give it away. It's number four. Wow. I'm surprised at that. I loved I loved Miracle. So. I loved it. I can't watch it repeatedly. Start to point out the flaws, right? I hate the flaws that were unnecessary. Like the the change the, in the was the score. They or the changed time the, of the time goal? of one of the goals. Yeah, but but what I hated was their effort to villainize the Russians. Like they ran Jim Craig on one of the goals, a slash set up an uncalled slash set up one of the goals that that didn't happen. Okay, there was they they took the greatest sports story in history and tried to make it better. And in the effort, made it slightly worse. The one thing I didn't understand was... And plus, I didn't get that Rachel's like assistant in her office at Friends, who ended oh, up being one Jim of her boyfriends. Yeah. yeah, Tag. He was Jim Craig in the movie. That bothered you? That unnerved me. <laughs> 
No, the, the one thing that I found out long after the fact was I don't know and I don't understand why they had to screw with history on the Ralph Cox thing. Why couldn't they have made that two guys? Did it have to be one guy? Like, why did, you know, if it was... Who was the other guy, Jack Hughes? Yes, yeah. Yeah, and, and you know what they didn't put in there? They Ralph Cox said to Herb, hey, don't worry about me. I'm going to go play pro hockey, and you're going to go win the gold medal. Ralph Cox said that to Herb, verbatim. Why wasn't that in the movie? For I, I don't know, as, for as, as much as they built up that scene and as dramatically cheesy as you might think, oh, man, that line might be over the top. Well, it was with the tone of the movie. It was with the tone of the script. The actual story was over the top. Yeah, right, exactly. Which was why there was no need to change it even a little bit. No, I, I hear you on that. I Do you know why? I heard one thing that Herb was a lot closer to Ralph Cox than Jack Hughes. I, I, think, I, I think Jack Hughes intimated Herb, Herb wasn't close to anybody. I, on that yeah, team? At they, that time? No, no way. Um, I got the impression from something I read from Jack Hughes that he thought that it was more about his relationship with Ralph. He's absolutely wrong. Okay. Okay, Herb wasn't close to anybody on that team at that time. That wasn't Herb's style at all. But when he told the story of the movie, though, for the movie, when they interviewed him for the movie... I don't know, maybe it would have been clumsier with two guys. I guess it could. Hey, but. you know what? I would have been content if the story would have been told exactly as it was, 100%. I think that was the way to do it. Uh, did you see The Damned United? No. That That's a great movie. Uh, uh, I, what's the guy's name? I always want to call him Martin Sheen or Charlie Sheen, the British actor. Michael Sheen. Okay. Michael Sheen plays Brian Clough, who was a manager in English football, was very successful. But he became the manager at Leeds United, and he hated Leeds United when he became, you know, from having managed yeah. against them in the past. And he, whether intentionally or not, sabotaged them. And they went from, you know, winning the league, you know, uh, the year before to like, he only lasted like a month or so before they fired him. So it was like a real life version of Major League where it was almost intentionally sabotaged. Well, except uh, the manager well, was the saboteur. Okay. You know, and they stuck pretty close to that story. It's an excellent movie. Uh, Will Smith made Ollie into a douche. Will Smith just plays a lot of roles as a douche, cause maybe because I think he's a douche. Uh, Mickey Rourke made all wrestlers into douches in that movie, The the Wrestler. You know what was really good, Tim? Did you see Foxcatcher? I did see Foxcatcher. Steve Carroll is John E. DuPont of the Money DuPonts, who basically bought amateur-style wrestling in America, the U.S. national team, and made it his fiefdom and then went nuts and committed murder. Paul Walter Hauser was not in in that movie. How about Air? Did you see Air? Oh, uh, that's the Sonny Vaccaro story. Matt Damon, yeah. Sonny Vaccaro? No, but I want to. Was it good? I thought it was pretty good. Yeah, it was entertaining. I had Sonny on the show. I mean, he's just a trip. I mean, that you know, I can't think of a better guy to have a movie made about him in the context of something as crooked as the shoe industry. Even though Matt Damon made himself to try to not look like Matt Damon in that movie... He still doesn't look like Sonny Vaccaro. It's, just, it's, it's still a stretch that Matt Damon plays Sonny Vaccaro. Having not seen the movie, Tim, did you feel like Air properly told the the dirty side of the shoe business? No. Okay, because that's a dirty, dirty business. I mean, there were elements of you know kind of foul play and underhanded deals and things like that, but 
not at the grassroots level. They, they made it look like big business bad deals. Like, we're going to screw Converse, or we're going to screw Nike, or like we're all, all going to screw each other. Yeah, but but then, well, again, this is not in the context of that story, the, the particular Sonny Vaccaro story. But when the shoe business got their hooks into AAU basketball... That that just made it so dirty for the kids. You know what I mean? It just it, it it put kids in a seamy part of basketball at a far too young age. No, Sonny with, is, with street agents and you know whatnot. So they start the movie with Sonny very well established at Nike. So like you know if you're talking about sort of him being the bag man kind of. Actually, the, that that probably happened after the time frame of the movie. Oh, okay, all right. I thought you were talking about like how he rose to be. An executive. Would the movie have been better if Paul Walter Hauser had played Sonny Vaccaro? <laughs> or Michael Jordan. <laughs> well, let, let's get well, this. Michael Jordan didn't speak but one line. So. Is that right? Yeah, Michael Jordan. Like, they don't even show his face. They, there must have been, like, a rights thing there or something. Um, but but they, they used his name, right? They used his name, yes. You know what? Maybe that's because once you have, give him too many lines and show him, it becomes a Michael Jordan movie. Yeah, even if it's you know very brief. They, I don't remember them ever showing his face, and I think he there's one line that he gives, I believe, over a telephone call. His parents are in it. Uh, David Falk is very much in it. Um, the guy who plays David Falk is now Kaylee Cuoco's husband in that new show she's got. Um, that uh, how's Kaylee tr- Cuoco look these days? Well, she's pregnant in this movie. So, oh, oh, okay, uh, yeah. Because there like, was a time I thought she was the best looking woman on the planet. She well, that was. 15 years ago, and now she's pregnant. So, And, and they're, they're trying to make her look dumpy in this. Uh, it's called Based on a True Story. She was like the Britney Spears era, the Jamie Presley era. It's, the one thing I can't get away from and watch this program is they do that bug-eyed reaction thing that she does all the time. It's in every shot, and, and now it's like it's overdone. Everything is a tight w- shot of her face doing the bug-eyes. That, that's her trademark. Uh, let's get to sports finally, because nominally this is a sports podcast. Uh, Henry Davis made his Major League debut uh, last night, Monday. We're taping this on Tuesday. Went one for three with the walk, got the double in his first Major League at-bat. What's your first impression? I think he's got a Major League stick. He's got a Major League understanding of the strike zone. Um, I don't know what they're doing with the whole right field thing versus catching. Well, we'll get to that. I, I prefer they just have him catch. Uh, I think he's being cast right now in a good spot. You know, being a six-seven hitter, I think they'll slowly promote him up to being number three or four, unless he really sinks instead of swims. But I think he's going to swim. I think that bat plays. Um, yeah, I, I think. I think he, the understanding of the strike zone plays too. Yeah, I was impressed when he worked his first ever major league at bat to a three and zero count. I mean that you know that showed incredible patience in a situation where you would be very almost justified in being anxious, you know, to, to, to take a swing. Um, I also liked, he got a walk later, but that, that wasn't as competitive necessarily as in a, for an at-bat. The fly-out that he had where he chased the center fielder to the wall, he smoked that ball. He tattooed that ball, and he was asked about it afterwards. Something like, hey, did you just miss it? He goes, nah, I should have pulled it, which was like an interesting response to me. Like, you hit it as well as you possibly could have, so his flaw was he thought he could have done more with the pitch if he went in a different direction with it, not so much that he just didn't square it up one iota more. Shows a bit of scientific uh, approach to hitting, maybe. Uh, I-, I say this, he looks like a ball player, looks like a power hitter. 6-2-2-10, he looks the part. But but let's get to to uh, something you touched on a moment earlier. I think he should catch. I think you drafted him first overall as a catcher to catch. The biggest boost you can provide to your lineup 
is by subbing him in for Austin Hedges, who is hitting like 170. So I think he should catch. And if he makes some mistakes back there, so what? You're not going to win the division this year, even though you can, you know, you were able to dream about it probably longer than you had a right to after the 20 and 9 start. But, uh, you know, I, I think his long term optimal future is as a catcher. So get him back there. And if he isn't as good as you want him to be right now, coach him up. Give him experience. Unless they are convinced that it's going to be Rodriguez. And they're just waiting to bring up up Rodriguez because they don't think his bat is ready and they think that Davis's is and they want to get mileage out of Davis's bat. They don't care where it is. Where'd they draft Rodriguez? Oh, they acquired him in a trade. Oh, that's right. That was the... uh, It was the Yankee trade, right? Right, right. But, but, okay, you drafted Henry Davis first overall. He's a catcher. Let him catch. I, 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 I see the value of Hedges catching. I do. Uh, handling the pitchers and whatnot, but it's not like the the pitchers are all Cy Young contenders and and the catchers uh, delay and uh, Hedges as as a duo behind the plate have only thrown out eight of sixty eight base stealers, so they're it's, they're not Johnny Bench and back how many, there. How many bases have they given away with catchers interference too this year? That's flukishly up. Yeah, I, I think flukishly is the is the word to use there though. I think the the having thrown out 80 of 68 base stealers, that's pretty damning. And the other thing is, like, you've got the opportunity to take their bad bats and get one of them off the team and the other one on the bench pretty much full-time. And if you don't have Davis in right field or DH, then by extension you've gone behind the plate and you've got a better stick in there. Like, you know, Con- Connor Joe's not going to win the batting title, but he's better than Andy Rodriguez hitting. Why doesn't Sawinski play every day? They don't want to play him against lefties, do they? I guess not, but I mean, I don't. I don't think he's. He's the only legitimate power guy they have, especially with Brian Reynolds having only hit three home runs since April seventh. Which, by the way, I heard the fans booing Hedges. They should be booing Brian Reynolds. Brian Reynolds is not giving them value for money. What'd you think of uh, Davis's sort of interactions with the media yesterday? I wonder. Like, I know he doesn't like to talk, and I know he's. You know who he reminded me of? T.J. Watt, Rube Baker from Major League Two. Oh, <laughs> remember yeah, they? But, yeah, but he was kind of a nice guy, though, wasn't he? Like I, Jake I, Jake Taylor retired. Yeah, they they trade they they signed Jack Parkman as a free agent, but they had to trade him because they couldn't afford him. And he was kind of a dink. Yeah, a, a big dink. And Roger Dorn was the owner, and he was going. You know, I'm tapped out. Uh, I, I, I remember uh, Rube Baker goes to Jake Taylor. He goes, I, I bet you're wondering why they call me Rube. And Jake goes, no, I've got a pretty good idea how that happened. <laughs> See, I don't know if it's so much him being a Rube, though. I just, I don't think he likes the media at all. And I'm just, you know, there's there's going to be some pressures associated when with... When you say not like, you mean like like Patrick Hornquist grudgingly have to talk to him, but I, I'd rather not? I think... Patrick Hornquist got it better than Davis does. Like I think it reminds me very much of Watt when he first got here, where he wanted no part of it whatsoever and didn't feel like he had to do it. And I think he still is like that, don't you? I do, but th- I think there's. See, I think he's a dink. I, I know he gets a lot of sacks, but I think he's a jerk. Well, I know there's T.J. A, Watt. The, the more frustrating part about it with Watt is, like, I think I know because we've seen it when he goes on national shows. There's a personality there. He just chooses to not put it on for the local guys a lot. Yeah, but the national shows, he's never going to get asked a tough question or criticized. Yeah, but I see... T.J. Watt is tailor-made for what I call bro radio. You know, and and, and everybody says, oh, you're making fun of McAfee, Randy Bauman coming on. I guess I am. 
Although I, you know, Pat's very successful, and I, I, his approach works. It's just not the approach I prefer. Well, it's like what it's what Twitter wants. It's what Twitter likes. Well, right. It's bro radio. It's like it's like we got TJ Watt today. Yeah, and everybody in the studio applauds. TJ, gonna have a great year, aren't you? Yeah. Well, they kind of fell into that. I was watching their show when they were talking about the Bills. And they stumbled into this, you know, really meaty sports discussion about what's going on with the Bills. Like, why is there every offseason there seems to be like this little discord that Michael Lombardi, who gave him this story about, you know, the, the disconnect between um, the coaching within the coaching Yeah, but that staff. wasn't talking to a player. Well, right. That's where I'm going with this. They had a news value segment they were going with, and when they started to talk about it, it just sort of lapsed into, well, we had this bill on. We had that bill on. And Michael Hyde was happy to be here, and Stefan Diggs was super happy to be on the yeah! team. And didn't you see how much they danced in the snow before the big snow game? Yeah! Like, it's it's bro radio. And, 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 but the, this, the, Hey, it's working. Like I always introduce Pat on my show by saying, here's a guy who eclipsed my radio and wrestling careers in a couple weeks. It works. It's just, it, it used to be really cutting edge, and now it's not. It's just, it shouldn't be about how many friends can you make on the team. And I think that is becoming kind of the um, hierarchy, is how popular are you with the players that you interview and that you get on. But and then again, I think there's X amount of fans that want that now. More than X. Yeah. It might be X, Y, and Z. So, like, and that's frustrating. <laughs> time, time, no, not if you're about ready to quit. Um, but, but, okay, here's my compromise with Henry Davis. You don't want him to catch every day. And I would have him catch every day. I mean, you know, most days. What about him catching when Rich Hill pitches? Who's 43 is doesn't exactly need guidance by the catcher. Maybe Rich Hill could, could school Henry Davis point. up. You know who said that without exactly using that analogy yesterday was David Ross. The former Pirates catcher is now the manager of the Cubs. Right. I asked him about, you know, hey, what was the biggest thing that you needed to learn when you broke into the big leagues as a catcher? And he said, well, when I came in with L.A., the guys who were on the pitching staff were all veterans. It was a really veteran-heavy pitching staff. And I basically had to learn what they wanted. But they told him, like, hey, rookie, do this kind of thing. And there's not a lot of that with – the pitching staff right now, aside from Rich Hill, that's going to be communicated. Right. I don't know. Keller could. I just don't know if he's that kind of personality. I'd find out. Uh, yeah. And then the other guys are... Again, you- I keep coming back. You drafted Henry Davis number one overall as a catcher. He should catch. That's his optimal position. That's where you get the most out of him. Because, you know, if, if he posts the same stats in right field as he would catching, it doesn't mean as much. Because there aren't nearly as many catchers who produce offensively. Well, you say it that way, and you say it definitively. That do you think they really drafted him as a catcher, or do they draft him as a hitter? That's a good point. They probably draft him as a hitter, but to dismiss him as a catcher, which it seems like they're doing, Tim, before he's ever caught a ball in the major leagues, I think that's stupid. I think it's short-sighted because you don't want him to get rusty not catching in case Rodriguez doesn't work out. Like, they had fast-tracked Rodriguez more than Davis initially, and then Davis eventually passed him after um, he Andy Rodriguez had had this great start to his minor league career. And I wonder how Andy feels about that, having been leapfrogged inside of a couple months by Henry Davis. But then again, he hasn't because he's the catcher. Yeah, I mean, is like they, he though? I mean, yeah. I hear about him switching to second base. Well, they were having him play second and first, yeah. Maybe the Pirates have all these options at catcher, but none are really catchers. 
and I think they're probably overthinking the defensive side of it, especially for the reasons you I pointed out. I think they overthink almost everything. And it might come back. The ironic part of it is, is they're so worried about minuscule differences in catching defense that it's going to hurt them at the plate, even though they called up the guy who might have the best stick. Because you're sticking with the guys who can't hit behind home plate. And like I said, then by extension, a mediocre stick, I'm not going to call it a, a better stick, is not playing. One of those outfield first base guys is not playing. The biggest gain to be made in the current lineup is with uh, Davis catching because of who you sit and who you don't. I mean, not the Connor Joe's Ralph Kiner, but he's a better hitter than, than Austin Hedges. And speaking of which, though, I don't like Hedges being booed at PNC, which he was uh, Monday night. Uh, Boo Shelton for playing him. But booing Hedges smacks of scapegoating. Like, okay, we started 20-9. and nine, Now we're three games under five hundred. It must be this guy's fault. Just like the Steelers' defense didn't play well, that's because they're on the field too much. It's Matt Canada's fault. Or they could turn around and boo Ben Sherrington because I'm sure Derek Shelton isn't playing Austin Hedges just because he wants him to. Like, if Ben, ben Sherrington is the one that's greenlighting Henry Davis coming up and not catching. Like, that's an organizational decision. That's his decision. So, we all chanted fire Hextall. We know who the general managers are around this town, but it's easier to f- say fire Hextall because he's the flyer that we all hated from the goalie days. Well, right. Back we, 19- we pick who, who we don't like yeah. and assign blame when blame comes along. And all the bloggers and all the fans and all a lot of the media have put their chips behind Charrington and they decided that they liked him and they like his plan. So Austin Hedges is outside of that sphere. He's brand new. Let's go after him and Jason DeLay, and let's not assign the blame to Shelty because he's friendly and Sherrington because he's their guy. Well, I liked when Shelty said, I just heard him on the radio on the way here today, Tim. He said that Hedges and DeLay are the best defensive catchers in baseball. He actually said that, and the only response to that is, you know, please shut up. And Sherrington... Uh, you know, said that uh, the cat catching defensively is one of the strengths of the team. Yeah, except for that part about throwing out, you know, uh, guys trying to steal a base, which they've only done eight out of 68 times. And all those catchers' interference penalties and where the staff has been going lately. Yeah, I mean, it, it's clearly not... Hey, this is a metrics business, all right, Derek, A strength. Then, then show, me, show me the metric that says that. Now, do you think the Pirates called up Davis when they did because Cincinnati called up Elliott De La Cruz, their big prospect, and then went on a tear? I think it's now... 11 out of 13. I don't think it's specifically that. No. I think it's a function of the Reds catching up and bypassing them in the division, and they're feeling pressure, and they see how it's going. And they, and they know that I, I, can... I don't think the Pirates ever saw themselves, even at 20-9, and nine, I would be shocked if their management said, you know what, we could win this division. Because I never felt that way. I mean, you look at that roster, it's just not good enough. My belief is that they were expecting somebody else to play better with them. Like, you know, I, I didn't think they – I'm sure they looked at 29 and didn't expect a precipitous fall like they got in May. Well, right, 34 and 37 only looks real bad for this team. Uh, when you consider that Milwaukee and Cincinnati are only slightly ahead of them. Yeah, I don't think they were stunned that they had a good month and they won two out of every three games. But I do think there was an element – the way they talked and the way some of their moves made were made, I do think there was an element of surprise with when it corrected in May and they started to play pretty well again at the start of June, 
they looked around and said, we're three games over 500 and we're in first place by a game and a half. And they kept losing and stayed in first place. Right. Yeah. For like, weeks. So the course correction happened, but the only thing that didn't correct was the rest of the division. So, like, I, I think that's when the confusion started. I don't think the confusion in the front office started at 20 and 9. I think the confusion started at June 1 when they, like, beat the Giants and then swept the Cardinals and they poked their heads back up and said, we're in first place again. And now what do we do? Do, do you think that that if, if, if they had been told, for that matter, if you had been told, Tim, that they were going to be 34 and 37 after 71 games, I think they would have taken it. I bet you would have taken it. I know I would have taken it. Sure I would have because I took over 67 and a half, and that looks like it's pacing towards that. But it's going in the wrong direction. Like, you know. How many games do you think they're going to win? Boy, I think it's I, I think it's going to be about where I had my prediction, which was 72. That's what I predicted, too, 72. That's Tim Benz. I'm Mark Madden. This is the Bet Rivers Podcast Network. Thanks for checking us out. And don't forget, bet now from anywhere, anywhere, anywhere. Catch new episodes of Mark Madden Unfiltered every week. Available on the Bet Rivers Network, betrivers.com, and wherever you find your podcasts.